Chapter 4 The Great Arbitration Case by Charles H. Spurgeon Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Job 9, verse 33 What Job desired to have, the Lord has provided for us in the person of his own dear Son, Jesus Christ. We cannot say with Job that there is no daysman or arbiter who can lay his hands upon both, because there is now one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 Let us rejoice in him, if indeed we have an interest in him. And if we have not yet received him, may Almighty Grace bring us even now to accept him as our advocate and friend. There is an old quarrel between the thrice holy God and his sinful subjects, the sons of Adam. Man has sinned. He has broken every part of God's law and has recklessly cast off from him the allegiance that is due to his Maker and his King. There is a suit against man which was formerly instituted at Sinai and must be pleaded in court before the judge of the living and the dead. God is the great plaintiff against his sinful creatures who are the defendants. If that suit is carried into court, it will go against the sinner. There is no hope whatsoever that at the last tremendous day any sinner will be able to stand in judgment if he leaves the matter of his debts and obligations toward his God unsettled until that dreadful hour. Sinner, it would be good for you to agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way. Matthew 5, verse 25. For once you are delivered up to the great judge of all the earth, there is not the slightest hope that your suit can be decided in any way other than to your eternal ruin. Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, verse 42. Luke 13, verse 28 will be the doom decided for you forever if your case as before the living God will ever come to be tried at the fiery throne of absolute justice. However, the infinite grace of God proposes an arbitration, and I believe you are not anxious to have your suit carried into court, but are willing for the appointed arbiter to stand between you and God and lay his hand upon both and propose and carry out a plan of reconciliation. There is hope for you, you bankrupt sinner, that you may yet be at peace with God. There is a way by which your debts may yet be paid. That way is a blessed arbitration in which Jesus Christ will stand as the arbiter. Let me begin by describing the essentials of an arbitrator or daysman. Then let me take you into the arbitrator's court and show you his proceeding. And then, for a little time, let us dwell upon the happy success of our great daysman. The Essential Qualities of an Arbitrator or Daysman The first essential quality is that both parties should be agreed to accept him. Let me come to you, you sinner, against whom God has laid his suit, and put the matter to you. God has accepted Christ Jesus to be his arbiter in his dispute. He appointed him to the office, and he chose him for it before he laid the foundations of the world. He is God's fellow, equal with the Most High, and can put his hand upon the Eternal Father without fear, because he is dearly beloved of that Father's heart. As the Nicene Creed states, he is very God of very God, and is in no respect inferior to God over all, 
blessed forever, Romans 9, verse 5. But he is also a man, like yourself, sinner. He once suffered, hungered, thirsted, and knew the meaning of poverty and pain. He went even farther, for he was tempted as you have been, and farther still, he suffered the pains of death, as you poor mortal man will one day have to do. Now what do you think? God has accepted him. Can you agree with God in this matter, and agree to take Christ to be your arbiter too? Does foolish enmity possess you, or does grace reign and lead you to accept Emmanuel, God with us, Matthew 1 verse 23, as arbiter in this great dispute? Let me say to you that you will never find anyone else of such a kindred spirit to you, so tender, so sympathetic, and with such bowels of compassion toward you. Love streams from his eyes in life and poured from his wounds in death. He is the express image of Jehovah's person, Hebrews 1 verse 3. And you know that Jehovah's name is love. God is love, 1 John 4 verse 8. And Christ is love. Sinner, has divine grace brought you to your senses? Will you accept Christ now? Are you willing for him to take this case into his hands and arbitrate between you and God? For if God accepts him, and you accept him too, he has one of the first qualifications for being a daysman. But in the next place, both parties must be fully agreed to leave the case entirely in the arbitrator's hands. If the arbitrator does not possess the power of settling the case, then pleading before him is only making an opportunity for disputing without any chance of coming to a peaceful settlement. Now God has committed all power into the hands of his Son, Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus Christ is the ambassador of God and has been invested with full ambassadorial powers. He comes commissioned by his Father, and he can say that his Father's heart is with him in all that he does toward sinners. If the case is settled by him, the Father is in agreement. Now, sinner, does grace move your heart to do the same? Will you agree to put your case into the hands of Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man? Will you abide by his decision? Will you have it settled according to his judgment, and will the verdict that he gives stand absolute and firm with you? If so, then Christ has another essential quality of an arbitrator. But if not, remember that although he may make peace for others, he will never make peace for you. For know that until the grace of God has made you willing to trust the case in Jesus' hands, there can be no peace for you, and you are willfully remaining God's enemy by refusing to accept his dear Son. Further, let us say that to make a good arbitrator, it is essential that he is an appropriate person. If the case were between a king and a beggar, it would not seem exactly right that another king or another beggar should be the arbitrator. But if there could be found a person who combined the two, who was both prince and beggar, then such a man could be selected by both. Our Lord Jesus Christ precisely meets the case. There is a very great disparity between the plaintiff and the defendant, for how great the gulf is that exists between the eternal God 
and the poor fallen men. How is this to be bridged? This can be bridged by none except by one who is God and who at the same time can become man. The only being who can do this is Jesus Christ. He can put his hand on you, stooping down to all your infirmity and your sorrow, and he can put his other hand upon the eternal majesty and claim to be co-equal with God and co-eternal with the Father. Do you not see, then, his appropriateness? Surely it would be the path of wisdom, sinner, to accept him at once as the arbitrator in the case. See how well he understands it. I would not be a suitable arbitrator in legal cases because, although I would be anxious to do justice, I would know nothing of the law of the case. But Christ knows your case and the law concerning it because he has lived among men and has passed through and suffered the penalties of justice. There certainly cannot be a better skilled or more judicious arbiter than our blessed Redeemer. There is one more essential quality of an arbiter, and that is that he should be a person desirous to bring the case to a happy settlement. If you appoint a quarrelsome arbitrator, he may delight to see both sides argue. But if you elect one who is concerned for the good of both and desires to make both friends, then he is just the man, although to be sure he would be a man of a thousand, very precious when found, but very hard to find. Oh, that all lawsuits could be decided by such men. In the great case that is pending between God and the sinner, the Lord Jesus Christ has a sincere concern both for his Father's glory and for the sinner's welfare, and that there should be peace between the two contending parties. It is the life and aim of Jesus Christ to make peace. He does not delight in the death of sinners, and he knows no joy greater than that of receiving prodigals to his arms and of bringing lost sheep back again to the fold. You cannot tell how high the Savior's chest swells with an intense desire to make to himself a great name as a peacemaker. Never has any warrior had such ambition to make war and to win victories therein as Christ has to end war and to win thereby the bloodless triumphs of peace. From the heights of heaven he came leaping like a young roe down to the plains of earth. From earth he leapt into the depths of the grave, then up again at a bound he sprang to earth and up again to heaven. He still does not rest, but presses on in his mighty work to gather in sinners and to reconcile them unto God, making himself a propitiation for their sins. You see, then, sinner, how the case is. God has clearly chosen the most appropriate arbitrator. That arbitrator is willing to undertake the case, and you may well place all confidence in him. But if you will live and die without accepting him as your arbitrator, then when the case goes against you, you will have no one to blame but yourself. When the everlasting damages will be assessed against you in your soul and body forever, you will have only your own foolishness to curse for having been the cause of your ruin. May I ask you to speak plainly. 
Has the Holy Spirit so turned the natural tendency and current of your will so that you have chosen Him because He has first chosen you? Do you feel that Christ this day is standing before God for you? He is God's anointed. Is He your elected? God's choice places Him upon you. Does your choice agree with that? Remember, where there is no will toward Christ, Christ as yet exercises no saving power. Christ saves no sinner who lives and dies unwilling. He makes unwilling sinners willing before He speaks a word of comfort to them. It is the mark of our election as His people that we are made willing in the day of God's power. Psalm 110, verse 3. Place your hope where God has placed your help, namely on Christ, who is mighty to save. Isaiah 63, verse 1. You cannot have an arbitrator unless both sides are agreed. Do you say, yes, yes, with all my soul I choose him? Then let us proceed. Now I want to take you into the court where the trial is going on and show you the legal proceedings before the great daysman. The man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5, who is over all, God-blessed forever, Romans 9.5, opens his court by laying down the principles upon which he intends to deliver judgment. And I will now try to explain and expound those principles. They are twofold. First, there is strict justice, and secondly, there is fervent love. Strict Justice The arbitrator has determined that the case should proceed as it may, and that full justice will be done, justice to the very extreme whether it is for or against the defendant. He intends to take the law in its sternest and severest aspect, and to judge according to its strictest letter. He will not be guilty of partiality on either side. If the law says that the sinner shall die, the arbitrator declares that he will judge that the sinner shall die. And if, on the other hand, the defendant can plead and prove that he is innocent, he intends to rule for him the award of innocence, namely, eternal life. If the sinner can prove that he has fairly won it, he will have his due. Either way, whether it is in favor of the plaintiff or the defendant, the condition of judgment is to be strict justice. Love But the arbitrator also says that he will judge according to the second rule, that of fervent love. He loves his father, and therefore he will decide on nothing that may tarnish his honor or disgrace his crown. He so loves God, the Eternal One, that he will rather allow heaven and earth to pass away than to have one blot upon the character of the Most High. On the other hand, he so much loves the poor defendant, man, that he will be willing to do anything rather than inflict penalty upon him unless justice absolutely requires it. He loves man with so much love that nothing will delight him more than to decide in his favor, and he will be only too glad if he can be the means of happily establishing peace between the two. How these principles are to meet will be seen eventually. For now he lays them down very positively. He that ruleth among men must be just. 2 Samuel 23, verse 3. 
The arbitrator must be just, or else he is not fit to hold the scales in any suit. On the other hand, he must be tender, for his name, as God, is love, and his nature, as man, is gentleness and mercy. Both parties should distinctly consent to these principles. How can they do otherwise? Do they not commend themselves to all of you? Let justice and love unite, if they can. The Plaintiff's Case Having thus laid down the principles of judgment, the arbitrator next calls upon the plaintiff to state his case. Let us listen while the great Creator speaks. May God give me grace now reverently to state it in His name as one poor sinner stating God's case against us all. Scripture Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corrupters. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Isaiah 1, verses 2-4 The Eternal God charges us, and let me confess at once, most justly and most truly charges us, with having broken all His commandments, some of them in act, some of them in word, and all of them in heart and thought and imagination. He charges upon us that against light and knowledge we have chosen the evil and have forsaken the good, that, knowing what we were doing, we have turned aside from His most righteous law and have gone astray like lost sheep. Isaiah 53.6, following the imaginations and devices of our own hearts. Jeremiah 8, verse 12. The great plaintiff claims that since we are his creatures, we should have obeyed him, that as we owe our very lives to his daily care, we should have rendered him service instead of disobedience, and should have been his loyal subjects instead of turning traitors to his throne. All this calmly and dispassionately according to the great book of the Lord, is laid to our charge before the daysman. No exaggeration of sin is brought against us. It is simply declared of us that the whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. Isaiah 1 verse 5. That there is none that doeth good, no, not one. That we have all gone out of the way and are together become unprofitable. Romans 3 verse 12. This is God's case. He says, I made this man. Curiously was he wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Psalm 139, verse 15. And all his parts bear traces of my unique handiwork. I made him for my honor, and he has not honored me. I created him for my service, and he has not served me. Twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years I have kept the breath in his nostrils. The bread he has eaten has been the daily portion of my generosity. His garments are the clothing of my kindness. All this happened while he has neither thought of me, his creator and preserver, nor done anything in my service. He has served his family, 
his wife, and his children, but he has despised his Maker. He has served his country, his neighbors, and the city in which he dwells. But I who made him, I have had nothing from him. He has been an unprofitable servant unto me. I think I may put the plaintiff's case into your hands. Which of you would keep a horse, if that horse would not obey you in anything? What excuse is it that, although I might not use him, he would carry another? No, the case is worse than this. Not only has man done nothing, but worse than nothing. Which of you would keep a dog that, instead of following you, would bark at you, run at you, and tear you in his rage? Some of us have done this to God. We have perhaps cursed him to his face. We have broken his Sabbaths, laughed at his gospel, and persecuted his saints. You would have said of such a dog, Let it die. Why should I keep a dog in my house that treats me like that? Yet hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. Isaiah 1 verse 2. God has put up with your ill manners, and he is still patient with you. He puts the lifted thunder back into the arsenal of his dreaded artillery. I wish I could state the case as I should. My lips are but clay, and these words should be like fire in the sinner's soul. When I meditated upon this subject alone, I felt much sympathy with God that he should have been treated so poorly. And whereas some people speak of the flames of hell as too great a punishment for sin, it seems ten thousand marvels that we would not have been thrust down there long ago. The Defendant's Case The plaintiff's case having thus been stated, the defendant is called upon by the daysman for his, and I think I hear him as he begins. First of all, the trembling sinner pleads, I confess to the indictment, but I say I could not help it. It is true that I have sinned, but my nature was such that I could not well do otherwise. I must lay all the blame of it to my own heart. My heart was deceitful, and my nature was evil. The daysman at once rules that this is no excuse whatsoever, but an aggravation. For inasmuch as it is conceded that man's heart itself is enmity against God, this is an admission of yet greater malice and darker rebellion. It is only alleged against the offender in the first place that he had outwardly offended, but he acknowledges that he does it inwardly and confesses that his very heart is traitorous against God and is fully set upon working the king's damage and dishonor. It is determined, therefore, by the daysman that this excuse will not stand, and he gives a case in point. He says that a thief is brought up for stealing and he pleads that his heart was thievish, that he felt a constant inclination to steal, and that therefore he could not help running off with any goods within his reach. The judge very properly answers, Then I will give you twice as much penalty as any other man who only fell into the fault by surprise. For according to your own confession you are a thief through and through. What you have said is not an excuse, but an aggravation. Then the defendant pleads in the next place that although he acknowledges the facts alleged against him, yet he is no worse than other offenders, and he says that there are many in the world who have sinned more grievously than he has done. He says he has been envious, angry, worldly, and covetous, and has forgotten God, but that he was never an adulterer, 
a thief, a drunkard, or a blasphemer, and he pleads that his lesser crimes may well be overlooked. But the great daysman at once turns to the statute book, and he says that as he is about to give his decision by law, that plea is not at all defensible, for the law book states, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. Galatians 3 verse 10 The offense of one sinner does not excuse the offense of another, and the arbitrator declares that he cannot mix up other cases with the case now in hand. The present offender has, by his own confession, broken the law, and that, as the law book stands, that is the only question to be decided. For the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Ezekiel 18, verse 20. If the defendant has no better plea to offer, judgment must go against him. The sinner argues further that although he has offended, and has offended very greatly and very seriously, yet he has done a great many good things. It is true that he did not love God, but he always went to church. It is true that he did not pray, but still he sang in the choir. It is quite correct that he did not love his neighbor as himself, but he always liked to give to the poor. But the daysman, looking the sinner directly in the face, tells him that this plea also is bad, for the alleged commission of some acts of loyalty will not compensate for specific acts of treason. He said, You should have done those things and not left the other things undone. Matthew 23, 23. He then tells the sinner with all kindness and gentleness that straining at a gnat does not excuse him for having swallowed a camel, and that having tithed mint and anise and cumin, Matthew 23, verses 23 through 24, is no justification for having devoured a widow's house, Mark 12, verse 40. To have forgotten God is in itself great wickedness. To have lived without serving Him is a crime of omission so great that whatever the sinner may have done to the contrary stands for nothing at all, since he has even then in that case done only what he should have done. You see at once the justice of this decision. If any of you were to say to your grocer or tailor when they send in their bills, Well now, you should not ask for payment of that account because I did pay you another bill. You should not ask me to pay for that suit of clothes because I did pay you for another suit. I think the answer would be, but in paying for what you had before, you only did what you should have done. But I still have a demand upon you for this. So all the good deeds you have ever done are only debts discharged that were most fully due, supposing them to be good deeds, which is very questionable, and they leave the great debt still untouched. The defendant has no end of pleas, for the sinner has a thousand excuses. Realizing that nothing else will do, he begins to appeal to the mercy of the plaintiff, and he says that he will do better in the future. He confesses that he is in debt, but he says that he will run up no more bills at that shop. He acknowledges that he has offended, but he vows not to do so again. He is quite sure that the future will be as free from fault as angels are from sin. Although it is true that he just said that his heart was bad, still he feels inclined to think that it is not so very bad after all. 
He is conceited enough to think that he can keep himself from committing sin in the future, thereby, you see, admitting the worthlessness of his former plea on which he relied so much. Now, he says, if I abstain from drinking alcohol for the rest of my life, then surely I may be excused for having been a drunkard. Suppose now that I am always honest and steady and never again say one unkind word. Will not that exonerate me from all my wrongdoings and for having blasphemed God? But the daysman rules, still with kindness and gentleness, that the greatest imaginable virtue in the future will be no recompense for the sin of the past for he finds in the law no promise whatsoever made to that effect. Instead, the statute runs in these words, He will by no means spare the guilty. Exodus 34, verse 7 And cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Galatians 3, verse 10 Pleads guilty What is the poor defendant to do now? He is fairly beaten this time. He falls down on his knees, and with many tears and lamentations, cries, I see how the case stands. I have nothing to plead, but I plead to the mercy of the plaintiff. I confess that I have broken his commandments. I acknowledge that I deserve his wrath. But I have heard that he is merciful, and I plead for free and full forgiveness. Now comes another scene. The plaintiff sees the sinner on his knees, and with his eyes full of tears makes this reply, I am willing at all times to deal kindly and according to loving kindness with all my creatures, but will the arbitrator for a moment suggest that I should damage and ruin my own perfections of truth and holiness, that I should contradict my own word, that I should imperil my own throne? that I should make the purity of immaculate justice to be suspected, and should bring down the glory of my unblemished holiness because this creature has offended me and now craves for mercy. I cannot and I will not spare the guilty. He has offended and he must die. As I live, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but would rather that he turn from his wickedness and live. Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Still, this would rather must not be supreme. I am gracious and would spare the sinner, but I am just and must not unsay my own words. I swore with an oath, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Ezekiel 18, verse 20. I have laid it down as a matter of firm decree. Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Galatians 3, verse 10. This sinner is righteously cursed, and he must inevitably die. Yet I love him. Yet how can I put you among the children? Would it not be a worse calamity if I would be unjust than that the earth would lose its inhabitants? It would be better for all people to perish than that the universe would lose the justice of God as its stay and shield. The Verdict The arbitrator bows and says, Even so, justice demands that the offender should die, and I would not want you to be unjust. What more does the arbitrator say? He sits still, and the case is in suspense. 
There stands the just and holy God willing to forgive if it can be done without injury to the immutable principles of right. There sits the arbitrator, looking with eyes of love upon the poor, weeping, trembling sinner, anxious to devise a plan to save him, but knowing that that plan must not infringe upon divine justice, for it would be a worse cruelty to injure divine perfections than it would be to destroy the whole human race. The arbitrator, therefore, after pausing a while, puts it like this. I am anxious that these two should be brought together. I love them both. I cannot, on the one hand, recommend that my father should stain his honor. I cannot, on the other hand, endure that this sinner should be cast eternally into hell. I will decide the case, and here is the decision. I will pay my father's justice all that it demands. I pledge myself that in the fullness of time, I will suffer in my own proper person all that the weeping, trembling sinner should have suffered. My father, will you agree to this? The eternal God accepts the remarkable sacrifice. What do you say, sinner? What do you say? I do not think you can have two opinions. If you are sane, and may God make you sane, you will melt with wonder. You will say, I could not have imagined this. I never called in a daysman with an expectation of this. I have sinned, and he declares that he will suffer. I am guilty, and he says that he will be punished for me. Christ died to save the defendant. Yes, sinner, and he did more than say it. For when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son. Galatians 4, verse 4. At the appointed time, the officers of justice served him with the summons, and he was taken from his knees in the garden of Gethsemane, away to the court. And there he was tried and condemned. You know how his back was scourged until the white bones stood like islands of ivory in the midst of a crimson sea of gore. You know how his head was crowned with thorns and how his cheeks were given to those who plucked off the hair. Can you not see him hounded through the streets of Jerusalem, with the spittle of the brutal soldiers still upon his unwashed face, and his wounds all open and bleeding? Can you not see him as they throw him down, and fasten him to the accursed tree, and then lift the cross and dash it down into its socket in the earth, dislocating every bone and tearing every nerve and sinew? filling his soul as full of agony as this earth is full of sin, or as the depths of the ocean are filled with its floods. You do not know, however, what he suffered within. Hell celebrated within his heart. Every arrow of the infernal pit was discharged at him, and heaven itself forsook him. The thunderbolts of vengeance fell upon him, and his father hid his face from him, because he who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. And he cried in his agony, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Matthew 27, verse 46. And so he suffered, on and on and on, until it is finished from his dying lips, closed the scene. John 19, verse 30.
Here, then, is the arbitration. Christ himself suffers, and now I must ask the question, Have you accepted Christ? Dear friend, if you have, I know that God the Holy Spirit has made you accept him. But if you have not, what shall I call you? I will not admonish you, but my heart would weep over you. How can you be so irrational as to reject a compromise so blessed, an arbitration so divine? Oh, kiss the feet of the daysman. Love him all your life because he has decided the case so blessedly. I would to God that you would now look to the Savior, that you would come with weeping and tears to him and say with Charles Wesley, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. Tell the Savior, take my case and arbitrate for me. I accept your atonement. I trust in your precious blood. Only receive me, and I will rejoice in you forever with joy unspeakable and full of glory. 1 Peter 1, verse 8. May the Lord bless you forevermore. Amen.